You're listening to a special Queen City Improvement Bureau podcast. Jennifer Fix is the founder of Ana Studio, an urban planning and community engagement firm that works with cities to build OCPs, heritage districts, downtown plans, and neighborhood plans across Canada. Ana Studio says they work at the intersection of placemaking, climate action, and equity. Jennifer is also a Regina resident. So, as Regina City Council is considering cracking open their own OCP so as to allow themselves the discretion to reduce urban density targets on the fly, I thought Jennifer would be a perfect person to speak to about the benefits of urban density for a city like Regina. Here is a lightly edited version of our conversation. Um, Okay, yeah, so the motion is coming on Wednesday. Uh, basically what it's doing, and if I'm reading between the lines correctly, it's kind of a compromise between this, there was like a, a motion from a year or two, a year and a half ago, basically from uh, Brashani, Hawkins and Mole, saying mm-hmm. let's, uh, especially on new neighborhoods, let's lift those density targets of, you know, 50 people per hectare and allow larger houses on larger lots so that we can make sure mm-hmm. that we capture the uh, people who want to move to our city who want that kind of housing style so that they don't move to White City or whatever. Uh-huh. The report that's coming back on Wednesday has doesn't go quite that far. What it says is what we'll do instead is we'll have an exception so that it, uh, council can use its discretion to lower the density target for neighborhoods like for neighborhood plans on a one by like on a one-off basis so like on a uh, so if there's like a situation where you know it's a community where maybe a really tight density target of 50 people per hectare doesn't seem so appropriate we can you know council can at its discretion uh, lift that and I think the idea is that it would be used very, very sparingly, but I've just mm-hmm. seen the way the council, when it is, if there's a, mm-hmm. if there's a loophole and a sufficiently motivated developer, they will use the loophole even if the spirit mm-hmm. of the exception uh, doesn't apply. So, mm-hmm. um, I think if it, pa- like personally from where I'm sitting, if it passes, it's not like the worst thing that's ever happened, but it's just mm-hmm. yet one more sort of erosion of the OCP's uh, you know, goals of density. Where would you... Uh, is our official community plan so strict when it comes to density that we need to have these exceptions? Like, are we doing so... Like, are developers so... Are their hands so tied in Regina that we need to, you know, offer up these exceptions? Well, I would first probably want to explore this idea of choice. So my understanding is that there's a perception that by having density targets, you're removing choice uh, in that developers don't have the option of building, you know, low density, single, like exclusively single detached single family homes in a neighborhood. Um, But the reality is, you know, you're actually... um, by having those those density targets, you're actually providing choice. You're providing choice to the residents of Regina by creating more housing options. You're creating more transportation choice because in those neighborhoods where you have 
low densities, you're not going to have a mix of uses because you don't have a critical mass of people to support, you know, those destinations like grocery, sh- grocery stores and other services within walking distance of home. So you're now robbing people of the choice to get around in any other way other than the vehicle. We also need to remember that, you know, people talk about um, the rise of, you know, of electric vehicles, which of course is, is absolutely, absolutely crucial to, to um, tackling the climate emergency head on. Mm-hmm. We need to rem- we need to remember that um, car dependency is problematic for so many other reasons. So when you're removing that choice, when you're removing that density from those neighborhoods, you're removing the choice for people to get around, and frankly, for people under the age of 16 uh, or people who can't afford cars to get around at all. So um, this idea of choice is much more complex than simply saying we should have a choice in Regina where people live exclusively in you know, low density, exclusively single detached neighborhoods, single use neighborhoods. Right. Right. Do we really need to be that scared of people moving out to uh, suburbs? Uh, well, not suburbs, but like, you know, bedroom communities like Emerald Park and White City. You know, there's always going to be demand for people who who want to live what is essentially, you know, semi-rural, very suburban lifestyle. But we as a city need to decide, and all cities really need to decide, are we a city or are we a suburb? Are we the country? And if we are a city, then let's let's behave like one. Um, And so if people are seeking that sort of experience, then, um, you know, that's something that can be found elsewhere. What happens to those communities, too? Like, what happens uh, if... Because, like, if the city of Regina continues to pursue this, like, density target, meanwhile places outside of Regina pursue something much lower, like, what happens to them, like, if they're pursuing uh, those kinds of directions development-wise? What do you mean, like, in terms of how, how will they physically grow? Or what yeah. are the impacts? Well, I guess yeah. a, a little while ago, I just I went out to visit my folks, and they're they live in a bedroom community, but they also have like some of the highest property taxes in Canada as a result. Um, and now they have bedroom communities glomming onto them, where you know the neighborhood communities, the neighboring communities to them have even lower density. And it just mm-hmm. seems like if you have these like bedroom communities, this ring of bedroom communities chasing like lower density, mm-hmm. the further you go out, you want wind up with these communities that have pursued very poor design choices that are unsustainable and then when mm-hmm. if Regina expands and takes over say Pilot Butte we end up inheriting bad design choices as a result right well we know we know that lower density like low density neighborhoods suburbs yeah. Um, bedroom communities, whatever they might be, you know, there's a correlation there with, um, you know, the cost of servicing goes up because yeah. you now have, you know, fewer tax dollars per, you know, per uh, meter of, you know, roadway, for example. Yeah. You also have, for example, you need more services. So uh, you need certain emergency services like fire hall um, yeah. at, you know, certain proximity to a certain amount of population size. So then as that sprawls out, you need to have more services, more amenities, more schools. It's it's more costly from a you know financing, municipal financing standpoint, 
Um, it also results in you know residents who are less mobile, less active. So there's a direct correlation between density and obesity and other lifestyle-related illnesses like type two diabetes. Um, there are uh, you know impacts in terms of character and public life and street life when you have people living in car-dependent areas. You have people who are not out in the street meeting one another. We have lower levels of social trust yeah. and social interaction in these types of neighborhoods. So it's, it, you know, you're going down, it's, it's a slippery slope when you start to embrace these types of um, densities that frankly aren't going to, to meet any, help us meet any of our goals and will do just, you know, just the opposite and undermine many of our our, our ability to meet our community goals. You talked about uh, choice, and uh, um, one of the concerns that I've heard only raised very rarely at council around this question of density is the idea of uh, uh, equity. Um, I don't know how to phrase this. When the zoning bylaw came forward, there was this suggestion that we get rid of R1 zoning and we just have a residential urban zone, which would, it would be uh, basically two units per lot would be just permitted use. And so it would have meant that duplexes could be placed anywhere there was currently R1 zoning. City of Regina mm -hmm. residents freaked out and council like immediately reversed course on this. And so we still have R1 zoning enshrined in our zoning bylaw. Um, one of the things that was raised was just the idea that this is... Th th this kind of like uh, aversion to density isn't just um, it, it, it like it isn't just like more costly, but it also like excludes lower income people and frankly people of color and newcomers to Canada from the housing market because we 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 have this we build up like this uh, lack of missing middle housing. Um, like, is, is, is that concern overblown like or d is density really that like sort of like equalizing a factor for the housing market? It's, I don't know it's not overblown and you're seeing cities across Canada um, coming to you know coming to terms with the, the fact that they have these large enclaves of, of people living in homes that are like yeah, R1 equivalent zones yeah. and that it, they, and they are exclusive. They do exclude people. And I, you know, these aren't just folks who are necessarily lower income or people of color or newcomers. You know, these are people who are, you know, people who aren't able to age in their own neighborhoods, people who have to move out when they need assisted living, or frankly, people who are at a point in their lives when they're renting so maybe young adults so they're exclusive of those people but yes absolutely uh keeping out people who are of lower income people who are renting um and and of course people who the equity seeking folks who are more likely to rent or more likely to be low income um and to be honest this you know the the simply adding the permission of having you know, whether it be a laneway house or a secondary suite or a duplex, yeah. is a very, very moderate increase in density, very moderate. Yeah. It does provide more housing choice. It does open the doors for more people to be welcomed in any given neighborhood. Um, but it 
not going to completely undermine the existing quote-unquote character of a neighborhood. Um, and I think the people who come out and speak against these, you know, obviously don't want to see change. People don't like change. That's understandable. But we also need to be building our city and shaping our city for more people, for future generations. It's not just about the status quo and the people who currently have the privilege of owning a single detached home in a, you know, in a, a low density neighborhood right now. Not that I even see that as a privilege, frankly, because that's not, not my own personal desired lifestyle, but um, certainly is for some. Why does Regina need to do this? Like, I think one of the things that I've heard at Planning Commission and other places is, you know, we're a small city on the prairies, land is cheap. Um, we're not a city hemmed in by mountains or high land prices. Uh, maybe we should just, you know, allow the sprawl and we'll densify, you know, 100 years from now or 20 years from now when it, the economics are there. Like, how do you respond to the idea that economics tells us that we shouldn't worry about density too much? Well, economics is a means to an end. It's not an end unto itself. So uh, we need to be designing our cities in a way that meets our community goals. So, for example, the climate emergency is here and it's, it's now. We need to be responding to it. Frankly, low-density, sprawling urban development, even with electric vehicles, is not a responsible response to to the climate emergency. We have the embodied energy in roads, we have the embodied energy in electric vehicles, um, and we just, you know, we can't afford, we don't have any time to continue blocking ourselves into a land use pattern, an urban form that will tie us to vehicles for decades or even longer. So we just don't have the time for that from a climate emergency standpoint. We have other imperatives, the imperatives that are in most OCPs across Canada, and I think surely in Regina's as well, around you know, attracting young people. Young people want public life. They want interesting places to be in. Um, those things, those attributes, public life, street life, they rely on density. Uh, when we talk about economic vitality of our local businesses, you know, the types of businesses that people can walk to, those rely on density. So we really don't have any time to wait. If we are serious about meeting our goals, we must be careful about how we manage growth and how we manage density in Regina. And that involves saying no to some of the things we have been saying yes to in the past, the proliferation of large format retail at our city's outskirts, the proliferation of low density, largely single detached uh, homes at our outskirts, um, an urban network that is you know full of cul-de-sacs and disconnected neighborhoods that don't, don't allow people to get from point A to point B in a way that's efficient. So we absolutely have no time to wait. We, we need to be serious about it because we, you know, we, we lock ourselves in. Every investment in infrastructure and in build out of our city is locking ourselves in in some way. It's much harder to retrofit than it is to you know, do it right the first time. So I wouldn't wait. We don't need to wait. Other cities aren't doing waiting. Other cities in the similar, you know, winter climates and historic urban development patterns aren't waiting. So why should we? The term embodied energy, I think that's a new one for a lot of people. Could you just give like a quick explanation of what that is? Sure. So I think in a lot of, um, you know, when we think about, you know, the decisions and investments we make in our cities, um, you know, we think about 
you know, how much, how many greenhouse gas emissions would result from this particular design, whether it be a building or, um, a, you know, transportation network. Um, but there's something that people, you know, we sometimes forget about the fact that there's embodied energy. So there's a certain amount of fossil fuel investment, quote unquote, that goes into creating, for example, um, uh, concrete. It's, it's very high. It's that concrete, I think it's 8% of the, the world's greenhouse gas emissions are the result of creating concrete. So we might have electric vehicles that aren't emitting. It, 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 once our, our, our grid electrifies and becomes green, certainly we don't have the emissions associated with the tailpipe of our cars to worry about anymore, but we still need to worry about the embodied energy that goes into creating those roads and that concrete. And so we need to be very careful about, about that, accounting for the true cost, the true greenhouse gas emissions cost associated with certain urban development patterns. I think where I wanted to sort of maybe wrap things up with is with a common rebuttal to the idea of, you know, the city encouraging density and new transportation patterns. Uh, on the one hand, you'll have city council saying yes to things like widening our Cola Avenue and saying yes to big box stores uh, developments on the edge of town and um, things of that nature. But then when it comes to discussions of density and transit, uh, the the opposition to that comes in the form of saying uh, you're social engineering by doing this mm -hmm. or um, you know we shouldn't be meddling in the marketplace and this idea that those behaviors uh, are somehow crossing a line it's funny it's sort of cherry-picking uh, that, that perspective or that um, position is cherry-picking what what we deem to be social engineering. When you say that provision of healthcare is social engineering, of course not. It's about providing equitable choice and access to a fundamental human right. And in our cities, you know, we're not talking about forcing people out of their cars. We're telling, we're, we're, what we're doing is providing choices for people to, you know, you, you now have the choice of getting out of your car, assuming you even had that choice to begin with, but you now have the choice of getting out of your car and walking to a destination, cycling safely, conveniently, and comfortably to a destination, or taking transit, or frankly having your children take transit. So it's really a question about choice and not about social engineering. No one's telling you what you have to do. We're simply saying we need to be creating more choices for people about how they live at any given stage in their life, recognizing that the single detached house is not going to be appropriate for, you know, from ages zero to, to 85 um, so it's choices around housing it's not social engineering it's not saying you can't live in a single detached house it's saying there's going to be other choices in your neighborhood for you and and that's in addition to the choices around transportation so it's, it's the exact opposite in fact and it's just it's um, it's a view that's perhaps um, short-sighted or, or, or misguided in its, in its view just one last question I wanted to ambush you with um, mm -hmm. I maybe heard that there's now a, a plan to uh, consider building an arena downtown, like not on mm -hmm. the yards, not in the real district, but right downtown. And mm -hmm. then that would be twinned with possibly, probably putting an aquatic center in the yards. 
and then mm -hmm. soccer in uh, the old Taylor Field site. These were like, uh, downtown was identified as a place for housing development and retail development. Um, the yards and the uh, Taylor Field similarly were supposed to be like, you know, possible locations for more housing, uh, broader mm -hmm. uses. Should we be alarmed that we're seeing uh, this development pattern uh, being contemplated of putting like large recreation mega complexes in the center and do the mm -hmm. and or do these actually have the kind of like spin-off benefits in terms of like develop like developers will then want to build housing downtown because there's an arena there yeah i mean uh, certainly every city is different and i again i'm not deeply familiar with the nuanced discussion or even analysis of regina but what i will say is that the issue with stadiums is that they tend to activate neighboring businesses and public spaces only during events, which which can also be uh, seasonal. Um, they tend to be insular, inward-looking, so they do nothing for street life or vibrancy, which is the thing that attracts people to a, to a neighborhood, right? <clears throat> and then sometimes they can displace perfectly good uses with seeds of parking lots, as we've seen. You know, and, and so, you know, you could ask, is Mosaic Stadium, not to say it's you know, shouldn't be there or anything, but is it is, is it doing much for public life in North Central? I don't know. Um, and then we and we do see sometimes cities that have less less successful downtowns. Um, so you know, there can be an incl inclination for expensive silver bullet solutions, um, and, and maybe even mega projects. So something you know, if you're if you're looking at activating and enhancing the downtown, I would argue that you know, stadium likely isn't the best way to do that. You could invest in the public realm, as they did on Victoria Avenue, and you'd see a little bit more of that. You can encourage more housing, adding more people, thinking about the downtown as an actual neighborhood where people want to live, managing development better, so not opening up downtown to more surface parking, for example. So these are the things that go way further in strengthening downtowns and neighborhoods rather than mega projects like stadiums. Stadiums aren't necessarily, you know, they're not bad things. They certainly are an important part of you know, civic life, but, you know, is the downtown an appropriate location for it? I think many would argue no. Cool. All right. This is perfect. Thanks a lot, Jennifer. Welcome. Yeah, good luck. And I hope it goes well. Thanks to Jennifer Fix for taking time out of her vacation to talk with me. The Queen City Improvement Bureau airs on Thursdays at 7 p.m. on 91.3 FM CJTR, Regina Community Radio. You can subscribe to or review our podcast on iTunes or wherever the people find podcasts these days. Keep on improving, Regina.